Well, good morning. My name is Jeff, and I'm one of the shepherds here at Fullerton Free, and uh, we're continuing our series in Titus and uh, chapter 2, which we just uh, read the first 10 verses of. And um, one of the things, if you'll remember last week, uh, Darren was speaking about the false teachers, those deceivers, those people that, that taught false doctrine. And this one starts right off the bat with a, with a passage that just says, But as for you, different than them, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So that first line is the idea is that everything that that we just heard about last week about the false teachers, the deceivers, is now we get to this point that it says, be different from them. That as for you, you do something different. If you remember, we just went through the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus is teaching there and he talks about a completely different set of rules and guidelines to live life by. And that concept is, is that the world is upside down compared to the way Jesus wants us to live it. So as other people are teaching things for their own motives, for selfish gain, for all kinds of other reasons, right off the bat, Paul starts off with Titus and says, but as for you, you be different. You do it differently. And then we jump in. And as we jump into this whole thing, it says that he asks him, he says, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And there's an implication there that you know the difference between what is sound and what is not. That you actually have to know your doctrine to be able to teach sound doctrine. So this is a great thing that you're tuning in now, that you're watching, that you're listening to this message. Because this is where doctrine comes from. It comes from studying the scriptures. It comes from looking at the word. It comes from Bible studies and and small groups and discussions with your friends and family about the text. and, And praying to God and say, God, guide me in this. That the spirit of God would reveal his own truth to our hearts. So this is something that along the way, the idea is, is that you just go to church occasionally and that that's the way it works, but you actually have to engage with the text. You have to wrestle with it. So you stop and go, no, I know what this means. This is sound doctrine and this is not. So this concept of us being different, but as for you, you be different. It means we actually have to know our Bibles. We need to meditate on it. We should memorize it. We should know what it says. So that's going to be underscoring everything that we talk about here um, because teaching is going to show up a few times. There's two things that are going to pop up again and again, and that is the idea of knowing and teaching sound doctrine. That's one. And number two is the whole idea of self-control, of putting your flesh in check, of controlling yourself. And, and then with that comes surrender. You surrender what your flesh might want to do in exchange for what God would have you to do. So those are the two key po- components that are going to show up in this text. Now, the thing that it does is that there's uh, w- one of the things I should say right off the bat that I love about Fullerton Free is, is an intergenerational church. We have people that are young, we have people that are old, and it's a blend. Now, sometimes that causes a bit of heartache, is that in the process, uh, if we sing a song, there are some people that are like, oh, that song's so old, and then if we sing another song, oh, that song's 
too new and why don't they sing the old ones? And so we can get those kind of divisions going back and forth because we're coming in from all different places as we do this in our church. But that's a beautiful thing. And Paul literally instructs Titus along the way and he breaks it down to those individuals. If you remember, Titus is to gather together different churches in every city. And he says, here's the instructions for all of you in this intergen situation. So you can look at verse two, it starts talking about older men. In verse three, it talks about older women. In verse four, it talks about young women. And in verse six, it talks about or talks to younger men. And then in verse nine, it's speaking to slaves. So there's a little bit of everything in there for everybody. And if you've got a journal or a piece of paper, you might want it this morning because there's literally going to be something in there that is an assignment for you. It is a challenge to you. In fact, you might notice and maybe underline in your Bibles where it says to be. For example, in verse two, it says older men are to be sober minded. And in verse three, older women likewise are to be reverent. And then in verse five, when it's talking to the young women to be self-controlled and in verse six, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled and verse nine, slaves are to be submissive. The to be means that's what we're supposed to do. That's what our character should be, how we should live. And it literally is a commandment to us to be that. So this is a thing that you look at and go, I have an assignment today. Sometimes we talk a little bit about God and leave it kind of out there on the shelf. And then there's a question of how do I apply this to me? Well, this morning it's very specific and it's like to be this, you should live this way. So, but as for you, be different, live this way. So this text is very specific and it doesn't matter whether you're young or old, male or female, slave or free, these things apply to us in some way, shape or form. I would also add on the age that when it says older women, older men, younger men, younger women, the concept is, is that every one of us is older than somebody else and every one of us is younger than someone else. So you almost can't pull out of the categories other than apart from male and female. The ideas are are fairly um, fluid here. That the idea is, is that I may see myself as an older man to some, but then with others, I may see myself as a younger man. So for example, um, Mitch is here this morning. Mitch is on staff. He is a younger man to me. That makes me an older man. But last week I was having a a visit with Paul Sailhammer. And at that point I became the younger man. And so there's some good things for hanging out with older people. It makes you younger and uh, you can go that route. You get the point. There's just this simple idea that as we look at this, you may look at it and go, well, I'm young or I'm old and I don't have to do that. It doesn't give ages. It does not put a line and say, this is your age. It literally says, as you look at yourself as an older person or as a younger person, then use these principles. All right, so let's jump in. Um, The first one is with the older men. And the older men, it starts off with that whole thing, are likewise to, or I'm sorry, verse two, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love. And that means sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in steadfastness. 
So when it says that first part, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness, it means your sound in all of those. So when we use that word sound, we're talking about sound in doctrine, meaning healthy, whole, that you really get it. You have a grasp on it. And that sound in the, in the doctrine is one thing. And then when it comes in here, it's now saying that you've got to be sound, whole and healthy in your faith. You've got to be sound and whole in your love and that you've got to be sound and whole in your steadfastness that as you you grow old, this one's to older men, as you grow old, that it doesn't fade away that, well, I'm old now and I can relax this, just the opposite, that you become sound and whole and healthy in steadfastness, that you finish well, that you live this strong example all the way to the end of your life, that you remain steadfast in this. And this is the concept that plays out there, that you're an example to the end. And this idea of the two things that I said, where you're going to have to to, to know and teach sound doctrine and this self-control surrender, the one and two that come here, this is an example for old men to teach that how we live our lives as an example for others by being steadfast matters. That should be something of our character. Let's jump to, to the next one. Older women. Older women, likewise, in the same way, older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. Notice the teaching shows up again. They are to teach what is good. And then verse four, and so train the young women. So that's something that they have to do. And before we jump into what the young women are to do, one of the things older women are to do are to actually be an example and to train young women so that we, we literally see this, this teaching concept being applied, not just to Titus, but also to the older men and also to the older women. And we're going to see it applies to everybody on the list. But this idea for older women is that they are also likewise reverent, they're self-controlled, they are teaching what is good. And in order to teach what is good, once again, you have to know it. So just like we talked about the doctrine idea, you can't teach sound doctrine if you don't know sound doctrine. To be good, to teach what is good, you must know good. You have to know good, you have to be good in order to teach good and to do good. And I love that little line of logic. It's just one of those simple things that you could just get up in the morning and go, I need to know good. I'm going to spend time in the word. God can teach me that. And then I need to be good and I need to teach good and I need to do good. It's a great little line. Should be bumper stickers or something. But that's the idea. Now, it says there that older women are to teach the younger women. So we'll jump to the younger women. And so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now there's a couple of lines in here that are going to make some people nervous, the whole working at home and the submissive part. As we get into our culture nowadays, those lines uh, can make some people bristle, but we're going to talk about them as we get into this. But once again, with young women, there's a to be and the to be self-controlled. So again, number one is to know and teach. Number two is to be self-controlled, to control yourself and surrender away from the flesh to the interests of God. So, um, this whole thing, though, about uh, about working at home, for example, um, you have to understand that the culture when this when these words were written wasn't that women had a choice of a, a career out of the house and a chance to be in the home. 
That wasn't even an issue. Women didn't have careers out of the house. So the issue wasn't about that. The issue was just simply that you and your character is, if you're at home, you're not a lazy person. You're not sitting around, but you're actually doing that work at home. You're actively engaged there. Now, you could also argue that this is a prophecy of COVID to come. That everybody's working at home now. We've all been, you know, safer at home. And so that this is speaking about COVID, but that's not the case. It is just simply saying that if you're at home, if that's where you find yourself, then do that work there. And the work that you might do is not only in the house, like housework, and the things that you might do there, but it's specific about people that this idea of loving your husbands and your children doing this work at home is investing them kind and submissive to their husbands. Now, somebody may go, well, you're demeaning that you're, you're putting that aside as if that's, uh, you know, that just simply staying home with the kids is, is somehow some, you know, big, big thing. And actually, yes, it is this idea that young women would be invested in, in their husbands and in their children is actually a beautiful thing. I love the quote by uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson where he says, a child is a curled, dimply lunatic. Um, just that description, a, a, a curled, dimply lunatic. That's what a kid is. They're very cute sometimes, but they are a lunatic. They are, they are a hassle. They are a challenge to work with. But the other quote that goes along with that is from Frederick Douglass. And he says, it is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. It is easier to raise strong children than it is to repair broken men. That this idea of teaching and investing in others, of actually being an example to others, is played out most strongly by moms. By women who get a chance at home to actually invest in their family. If you're working outside of the home, that doesn't actually take this responsibility away from you. There's still this responsibility. And dads, I would say the same is true with you. That each of these play out across the board. That if it says, don't, um, don't be drunk with too much wine kind of thing for the older women, that's true for everybody else in the category. So when we come into this, if you're looking at children and the need to invest in our children and train them up in sound doctrine, in character, in those things that are good, then that principle applies to moms and to dads. But very specifically here to the young women, this invitation to begin to have a change and an impact in children's lives. I got to see this in my family directly. Um, we have five children and um, our, our fifth one was adopted and he came from a situation that was out of a, a, a he was, he was addicted to drugs when he was born coming out of a, a drug pregnancy. And he was just basically when we got him for all practical purposes, he was a feral child. He was wild. And he came into our home when we had other little kids in our home. And I would look at this craziness of all of these kids and I would kiss my wife and say, have a good day. And I'd go to work. That was awesome. Just leave her alone with that mess. But guess what? This is where this woman, this young woman spent time with those kids, loving them, caring for them, crying about the, the, the pain and the hardships, the difficulties, the brattiness, the disobedience, the character outbursts, all these different things. She would just spend time with those kids, investing, shaping, molding them. And she became one of the greatest heroes to me. 
for her sacrifice, for her selflessness. I would go off to work and people would think I was wonderful. Nobody would know she was even around. And yet she would do this selfless work. And to this day, we have five Christian families that are, have beautiful character in their homes because of this one young woman who faithfully served and taught and shaped up the character of those young people. We spent a bit of time on that one, but I think it's really important that you don't diminish the roles you have. What God gives you, specific to you, recognize he wants to use you mightily in that way. All right, so that's young women. Um, Let's jump into uh, young men as we get into uh, verse 6. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. There's that word again, that we've got to keep our flesh in check, that we've got to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. And this whole thing to the young men of both being self-controlled and a model of good works, living a life out that is an example. And again, sound teaching shows up. And this concept here is just, you've seen it now with four, that it's the idea of being self-controlled and also being able to teach. That it's not that we just check our life and make sure I don't sin, but it's actually that I take my life and I live it out in such a way that it's an example that teaches others, that others can learn from me how life should be, how to walk in the Lord, what a a walk in the Lord should look like. Then we jump into uh, number nine, slaves, verse nine, slaves. Slaves are are to be, again, there it is again, to be, these are the assignments to us. Slaves are to be submissive. Ouch. Here's a point where we talk about slavery and, and the, the, just the terrible injustice of slavery. And scripture stops and says, yeah, if you're in that unjust situation, here's what I need you to do. Be submissive in that. You see, Paul right now is not addressing the social justice question of the right or wrong of slavery. He says, if you find yourself in that position where you are enslaved, here's what I need your heart to do. Here's what I need your character to be. Here's what I need you to do in that scenario. That as a follower of Christ, you would be like this. And listen to the list. Submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing. Please those masters, not argumentative, not pushing against them and digging at them, not pilfering. And that idea is either whether that's stealing from them and whether that's actually things or time. So here's the deal is we don't see slavery as much here in America for sure. But the reality is this, this word is bond slave or do loss. It's somebody that is indebted to or, or works for in some regard where they're committed to. So even if you're at work and you need that job, you have to go to work. You can almost look at it and go, all right, sometimes at work, I feel like a slave and Darren is my master. So that's the, that's a similar situation that, that I am the slave to Darren. So let's look at it in that regard, that if I read this and go, all right, Jeff, you're to be submissive to your own master, Darren, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering or stealing from... And, and the idea of stealing, for me, I'm not likely to take something from this church, but I might not give my whole heart at work. 
And at that point, if I'm paid for eight hours of work and I give six and then a couple hours, I just waste away. Then at that point, I'm pilfering. This is the idea that just like we talked about the young women working at home and giving their all to what God has placed them in and called them to. The same thing is true with those who are slaves. We're called to live out our character. And here's why. Look at what happens in this line that with the slaves, it says the reason why, but showing all good faith, but showing, in other words, literally teaching the master so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our savior. This whole series is entitled adorning the doctrine of God. That that idea that something we would do in our life would actually adorn the doctrine of God. And the one he attaches that beautiful phrase to is slaves. That's crazy. It's the one that you would think would be in the least position to have influence or to teach or to have anything that might adorn the gospel. Any of the ones in the list might seem more likely to have that impact. But slaves and right here, Titus is saying, yeah, even the slaves should do this, should adorn the gospel, the doctrine of, of God, our savior. That right off the bat, that even the slave has an opportunity to teach, showing all good faith and to do just that. So I want to give a little phrase. And if you've got your uh, pens out in a journal, this is, this is the concept that as I study this passage, I look at it and I go, it basically boils down to this concept. That, that in order to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior, I must live a life that actually points to the gospel. I must deliberately give up my right to myself and surrender entirely to God's interests. Let me say that again. In order to adorn the doctrine of God, our, of God our Savior, I must live a life that points to the gospel. I must deliberately give up my right to myself and surrender entirely to God's interests. This is hard to do. This is that, that crunch of the entire thing. The crux of it is to deliberately give up our rights and surrender entirely to what God's interests are, what he thinks, what he wants. And it seems almost a little bit like God is a megalomaniac, like he wants everything. He wants the glory. He wants us to do everything to his, his satisfaction. And some of us bristle at that and push back and go, no, I don't want to be submissive to God. I don't want to surrender to God. I don't want to do this. But you have to understand that the reason why God wants these things isn't so that he gets it for his good. It literally is the other way around that he's asking us to do these things for our good, that we might be within the will of God and that it would bless us. Here's an example. If somebody comes into town And we experienced this having recently moved to Fullerton. We didn't know all the restaurants. We'd come from Seattle, great restaurants and stuff like that in Seattle. We come here and uh, the question is, where do you get a good burger? I knew where you could get a good burger in Seattle. Now the question is, where do you get a good burger here in Fullerton? And different people have different opinions of, of good burgers. But now if a friend comes from Seattle and asks me and says, Jeff, where do I go to get a good burger? I now have opinions on that. Now, here's the deal is that if they want to get to the closest burger, so the quickest burger, there's a certain place they could go. If they want to get the cheapest burger, there's a certain place they could go. If they want to get a veggie burger for whatever reason, there's a place that they could go. 
that there's all these different things, but if they want to get the best burger, I will tell them where it is and that they should go. Mind you that afterwards you can tell me where the best burger is and I will begin to attempt to try all of those places. So send in your favorites. But here's the point of it is, uh, the point of it, this illustration of if it's a friend that I care about, I'm going to tell them where the best burger is, where they can actually get the burger that's going to satisfy them most, that's going to be the best for them. If they decide to disregard my recommendations, my interests, then they may very go very well go to the quickest burger, the, the, the cheapest burger. They may go to any reason to just go get another burger because that's convenient and it's next to Target. So that's why I'm going to get it. Target may even have burgers so they can get a burger at Target and that saves it all. That's not that likely to be the best burger, right? That concept alone is that if you decide to disregard what God is saying is this is the best burger, if this is the best thing you can do with your life, this is the best way you can live it out, but I want to disregard that and do what I want to do and go after my own self-interest, then don't be surprised if by eating that cheap burger, it's greasy, I've got indigestion, that, that it literally doesn't satisfy me, I may even get food poisoning. It's those things that when we look at it, God is looking out after our best interest to tell this greater story and he's inviting us into this story. This is why this concept of laying aside our our own interests, our rights, and being able to surrender to God is actually a really good idea. I want to illustrate it one more way. uh, if If you've got your Bibles, turn to Psalms 2. Because in Psalm 2, there is this, uh, this beautiful little idea, but it's kind of backwards. So I'm going to read the first three verses, and then we're going to focus on, cha- on verse 3. Verse 1 of Psalms 2 says, Why do the nations rage, and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. We don't want to give in to God. We don't want him to be our Lord. We don't want to be bound to what God wants us to do. And so they do this. So verse three, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Here in Titus two, he is doing the exact opposite. He's saying, if you saw the chains and the the bonds on the floor, you would literally look up to Jesus and say, can I put those on please? Can I actually take on these bonds? Can I become your bond slave that I would submit everything to you because you are an all-wise, all-loving, all-knowing God. And the example you have already given to us is that in our time of need, you saw us and you sent your son to die for us, to literally sacrifice, to be self-controlled and surrender to your father on our behalf to bring good to us. That story is the very one that God stops and says, do you want to take on these bonds? Well, yeah, but if I do, I have to give up my rights. And that's exactly right. But here it is. The wicked are sitting there fighting against God saying, I want to burst the bonds. I don't want to do what God wants me to do. And here on the flip side is the righteous is going to be the one that said, I must deliberately give up my right to myself and surrender entirely to God's interest. I want to take on those bonds and actually say, God, I am yours. I will do what you call me to do. Now, if you know much of the Bible, we can go through the story after story of what happens here. Adam and Eve did not do this. 
Think about it. In the Garden of Eden, God lays out the interests and those things that are best for them. And Adam and Eve say, we're going to cast off the bonds. We're not going to do what you say is best. We're going to do the one thing you said is not. And they go to the tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that starts the problem of sin because they begin a choice for their flesh instead of the best interest that God had in mind for them. But what you have that follows is the story of others that did. Noah did. Noah decided to surrender all that would have made sense in that culture. He gave up his flesh and decided, all right, God, I will build an ark. Noah did it. Abraham did it. And he traveled into land that he did not yet know, but said, God, I will follow you in faith. Moses did it at the burning bush and said, God, I can't even speak, but I will do this. I will go before Pharaoh on your behalf. Joshua did it. Caleb did it. Rahab did it. Rahab, a a prostitute in Jericho, stops and she's got her life off to one side doing a thing that doesn't look anything like Christianity. And along the way, God comes up to her and says, I need you to do this thing. Surrender your rights and do these things for my interest. And it turned out beautifully for Rahab and the Israelites. Samuel did it. David did it. Elijah did it. Daniel did it. Mary did it with the whole idea of what God was calling her to do with the birth of Jesus. John the Baptist did it. You need to understand that this idea of submission, when we were talking about it with young women, this idea of surrender that we've been talking about is not a weak thing. This is not weakness. This idea of surrendering our rights to God and his interests is actually one of the most powerful things that we could ever have. Every saint in the Bible, when you look at what really makes them stand out, it is this principle. They surrendered their rights to the interests of God. And then we know their names on a first name basis. That concept of just simple surrender is not a weakness. In the end, it is the mark of the gospel because this is the very thing Jesus did with us. In Philippians 2, it lays it out so clearly. We'll look at uh, verse 5 and on. Have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He gave up his rights, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This concept of what Titus is suggesting is that we would live a life that's an example by surrendering our will, our rights, and living that way to adorn the gospel, to adorn the doctrine of God, which is all about the gospel, which is this whole thing that God sent his son for us because of our sin. He sacrificed everything so that we would have that best interest. This is the story of the gospel. And here Titus is saying, or Paul is saying to Titus, the passage is saying, live your life this same way. Live your life in sacrifice and surrender because in that you will adorn the gospel. You will point towards the gospel. You will highlight the gospel. You will give that same story of what God did for you. You're going to point it out to others that they would see the price of sacrifice and how beautiful it is. That's what's getting played out. In fact, if you're in that second uh, or in Philippians, if you look at verse 14 and 15, it says, do all things without grumbling or questioning. Put aside those things that might disappoint you in life. 
And think about COVID right now. I mean, it's just, it just seems like there's not a day where you don't have a conversation where somebody's disappointed about what's happening in our world. Here's what it says. Sacrifice your rights. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. That among that generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. That we would teach. That our life would be an example to those around us of what this is. And that that would then adorn the gospel. It would point towards that. This is the story of the gospel. This is the story of the doctrine of God. And he's inviting us in it. Um, There's one person I left off on the list, obviously, when I'm given that list of all the saints who did it. Jesus did this. Jesus gave up his will. Not my will, Father, but yours be done. That he sacrificed his rights for the, the rights of the Father. All right. So I'm going to wrap up with a story that is, uh, happened just a, little, a few weeks ago. I was sitting out here by the worship center and I was working on a, on a project. And as I'm working, um, preschool is in session. There's, there's moms with kids kind of coming and going. And this homeless guy walks onto the property. And as he walks onto the property, I can tell he's inebriated and uh, he's drunk. And in the, the process, we've also been trying to address that to make sure that the families that bring their children here to Fullerton Free would feel safe. They wouldn't feel like there was a homeless person right there, you know, watching their kids. So I watch this guy come on and I'm thinking, all right, this isn't good. So I say, hey, why don't you come over here? So he comes over and sits down with me. We visit for a little bit. But then I realize I, I really need to get him off the property. I need to, to make sure that he's not here as the kids get dismissed and that, that, that there's this homeless guy that's, that's on the property. So I'm thinking about, you know, what would Jesus do? Hey, you got to leave right now. Get out of here. You know, that's just bad for the church to do it that way. And I have a background in working with the homeless. So I'm like, all right, I know the right thing to do. So I, I, his name's Mike. And so I say to Mike, who's kind of in and out of a coherent conversation. And so I said, Mike, we need to just take a walk. You want to walk with me down to the park? So he says, okay. So we walk out here onto Brea Boulevard and we start walking north on uh, Brea Boulevard. As we're going north on Brea, I'm asking about his life, about different things about him. And as we're walking and talking uh, along the way, he's not doing well. And he suddenly just starts turning white and he just says, Hey, I need to sit down. And I'm like, yeah, it looks like you do. And so he would just sit down right there on the sidewalk and he'd breathe a little bit and close his eyes. And then he would go, okay, I'm okay. And then he'd hold his hand up. Like, will you pull me up? So I reach out and grab his hand and I pull him up and we'd walk a little further. But then about two, three minutes later, he would start feeling sick again and he would go down. Well, it started getting more and more often to where we weren't walking very far. And then one of the last times I reach out to pull him up and I pull him up and except this time he holds onto my hand and he doesn't let it go. So we now start walking down Brea Boulevard hand in hand. So this is the middle of the day on a work day and right on Brea Boulevard, there's me and Mike, the homeless guy who's drunk and we're walking down Brea Boulevard hand in hand, two adult men just walking down Brea Boulevard. Now here's the thing. This is a perfect contrast of two souls. One is one who has no self-control, who is given into their addiction, where that addiction is destroying their life for their own personal desires. The other one, I dare not call a saint myself, 
Because you need to know what's happening inside of me. I am screaming out. I don't want to be there. I want to be anywhere else on the planet. I don't want to be in this moment. And I'm totally embarrassed that I'm walking with another man hand in hand down Brea Boulevard. That moment, though, is everything about surrender. And what happens with Mike is he collapses one more time and he starts dropping up fast. I call 911, the paramedics come, the police come. And in that process, it may very well have saved Mike's life of just simply surrendering. I don't want to oversell it. But there were conversations with the fire department. And there were conversations with the police department about... Fullerton free and how we felt about homeless and what we were doing with Mike and what things were going on. I don't know what God is doing with that story. What I know is this, is that God invited me in that day and every day to be a part of his story, to adorn the doctrine of God, to simply say, if I surrender today, my rights and simply say, God, what are your interests? What would I do that God will use us? Whether we're young or old, whether we're male or female, whether we're slave or free, God does just that. This whole question of how we live our day will adorn the doctrine of God or it won't. Let me say that again. How you live your day will adorn the doctrine of God or it won't. You will either choose to surrender your rights to his interests or you will hang on to your rights for your own interest. Titus is saying, live a life that is self-controlled and then by your example, by your words, by everything you do, surrender that up so that you will teach the doctrine of God, the sound doctrine of God, and you will point towards the gospel. We live in a world that is watching us. We live in a world that is hurting We live in a world that's confused and desperate, desperately needs to be taught about his sacrifice and what he did. Our role is to illustrate this beautiful truth by our words and actions. And as Titus starts, as for you, you be different. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for your grace. I thank you that you did this very thing where you sacrificed your own rights, your own interests to your father. So that by that, the gospel itself might be lived out in my life 2,000 years later. That it would be lived out in my parents' life. That it would be lived out in my children's life. That it would be lived out in my grandchildren's life. That it it begins to change all of our stories because you were active and, and concerned about us. So you sacrificed your rights for me. Lord, I just ask that for anyone that right now might be wrestling with that very issue of just surrendering their life to you. That they may have seen someone sacrifice. They may have heard this story. And Lord, they would reach out to you and say, God, I'm yours. And Lord, for the many more of us that had continued to to let our flesh be more in control. Lord, I just ask that you would have spoken to each of us and convict us each in an area that we need to surrender to you. And that today, Lord, you would find us surrendering our rights to you, to your interests, that by it, each of us may adorn the gospel. We love you. We ask these things in your name. Amen.